Welcome to the internet, live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. This is the Red Line Podcast. I'm your host, X number of raccoons in a trench coat, and these are my co-hosts... Kyle Holland and our guest writer... Alex Fielder. Today we have the two designers of the Rio Grande Plan on, Cameron Blakely and Christian Lenhart, um, to discuss an exciting idea for Great Separated Regional Rail in Salt Lake City. We'll talk design, development, feasibility, and more after the news. Trademark. Passenger rail service will return to the tracks in Orange County that were disrupted by landslides and sea surges nearly six months ago. Metrolink and Pacific Surfliner trains are expected to begin running once again April 17th, returning rail service to an area that has gone without four months. Yeah, until the tracks wash into the ocean again. How did it take that long? The tracks are basically in the the ocean. Wait, they fished them out? Is that what you're saying? Or they had to do a bunch of shoring up and it, making sure that... It, it is ocean, pile of rocks, with tracks on them, land. So then they get... Wait, wait, so uh, they're almost at sea level? They're almost literally... Here, I'll show you Okay, wait. Because I, 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 I imagine they were, like, on, on a cliff. No. Like, no. right next to the edge. Maybe no. they used to Just be. Just to make it scary. <laughs> No. Okay, Th- this is what we're looking at mostly. Oh. Like, it's just a pile of rocks, tracks, cliff. I hope they weren't There's, surprised. Oh, this by one's that. good as well. See, uh, that's more cliff, wise, other cliff, Yeah, yeah. Ocean. So you know, they added more rocks, so hopefully it'll be fine until they wash away there again. You go. Here's another one. Were they surprised that it washed away? Probably Cause not. I, no, because it keeps not. happening. Oh, here's another great picture where it's I, like a literally oh, okay. five feet above sea level. Well, I kind of question this alignment. <laughs> well, they didn't have anywhere else to put reason. it. It's very mountainous between yeah. LA and San Diego, so that's an old route. So well, maybe they should. I don't know. Can finish California high speed rail so you don't need <laughs> this thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Be we could good. never. Or just I don't know, elevate it maybe. Finish <laughs> California high speed rail. Just put it on old wooden. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 yeah, that is actually probably not the worst idea. Just yeah. for sections of it, like yeah, the I, parts that are in they the did water. that across the whole Great Salt Lake. They can yeah, well yeah, but now it's an embankment though. But more rocks, yeah, extra rocks. Hi, just make a mountain. I really want a rocks. kayak under the embankment. I need to bring my kayak here eventually. Good plan. In, in the Great Salt Lake, mm-hmm. we can hang it on the wall. Get, I didn't think you could get under it. I thought they there's probably bridge. No, sections. there's a way that they've opened it up now so that water can go through. Isn't there? Are there like bridge sections? There's I, one. Oh, okay. I thought they just smashed it. Well, you can still go across. Okay. I don't think it's used very much because it isn't useful anymore, despite being like you know the most impressive piece of rail infrastructure in the state. But you know. <laughs> I know they filled uh, like rail cars with ballast and sank them to create the that's webby co- causeway. Yeah, that's this amazing. Is true. Yeah. Uh, in other news, recent studies have shown that Gen Z is driving far less than other recent generations. In 1997, 43% of teenagers had their licenses by age 16, and 62 had them by 17. Now those numbers have dropped to 25 and 45% respectively leading experts to question whether this will be a sustained drop. Stated reasons for Gen Z's apparent reluctance to take up driving include high costs of entry, environmental concerns, as well as concerns by parents and potential young drivers alike that driving is increasingly unsafe. 
all valid concerns. Yep. I think that this is mostly going to be a fluke, if I'm completely honest with you. Yeah. Because American-built environment go burr. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only thing that go burr in American-built environment outside of a very, you know, select number of places is car. car. So, Uh, you know, maybe if we made some um, long-term changes to the built environment, maybe some sweeping zoning reforms. Communism. Oh. Yeah, checkmate meatball, (laughs) Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) I, I feel like one thing that would... Um, not meatball, what? Ramen Kyle. <laughs> ramen Kyle. You get it because yeah, you no, like I ramen? I've been out. You were saying, Alex? I think one thing that would... Honestly, we should have already... National ID. I feel like it's stupid Good that Lord. you have to have a driver's license to have identification Well, in, in Utah, country. there's a well, non-driver. Well, we have national ID. It just sucks. No, Social Security is not national ID. Oh, yes, it is. No, it's, it's just it, it, really it, it is. It shouldn't sucks. be. It, sh- it, it, it is ever since they took the not to be used for identification mark off the card. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Well, Utah has a non-driver's license state ID card that you can theoretically get. I've yeah. never seen one of those. It's for if you're <laughs> poor. Like, so idea. poor you can't afford your driving classes. Which is bad. Um, Still, there should be another way without needing a license. Anyways, maybe we should take advantage of this desire to not drive by making a environment that makes it fun to not drive. Better idea. We don't do that and give children cars. Even better idea, all cars drive themselves, so you don't need a license. Exactly. And then we just have the same number of cars, but they drive Uh themselves. Yeah. And as my cybersecurity, and kill more pedestrians. As my oh, cybersecurity professor yeah. said, cars will no longer require people to cause accidents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's that correct. Now, if we can use ChatGPT to automate insurance claims, <laughs> 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 the whole industry can do itself, and we can have our nice livable cities. I wonder when, like, okay, this is a completely wild tangent, but I wonder when, like, credit repair agencies, you know. Who send requests uh-huh. to like agencies over and over and over again to make them like raise your credit score so you stop sending them requests? <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. If you have bad credit, uh, go do it because it's literally magic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we live in a society. Um, I wonder when they're just going to start using like Chat GPT to just like send more of those requests. <laughs> yeah. Because like you you already need like you know one man hour to send like four thousand of those requests. So what if you computers. need one man hour to send like twelve thousand of those? requests? And then the receiving company uses Chat GPT to help filter and process the requests. So it takes the same amount of time for them to filter and process the requests. Yes, it's just to. more of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking with a friend about this about legal discovery because they're thinking, hey, oh, use no. Chat GPT to do legal discovery, and then I'm like, no, but then the amount of data will ex your processing will exponentially increase <laughs> you can't destroy my paralegal's jobs my paralegal just has to know how to code now <laughs> your paralegal needs to know how to write chat gpt prompts and now has a <laughs> hundred times as much information to make the computer sift through taking the same amount of time <laughs> automation that excites <laughs> uh this has been the news and tangents Yeah, so um, welcome on to the show. If you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves, uh, your background, and um, how you two met and began this process. Uh, sure. 
Hi, I'm Christian Linhart. Uh, I'm a civil engineer. Uh, I've worked on several transit projects in the state of Utah and lots of freeways around the country. And uh, Cameron and I met as we were discussing these um, uh, transit improvements online. Uh, we contributed together to make uh, the Rio Grande plan. Um, yeah, and I'm Cameron Blakely. Uh, my background is in landscape architecture and environmental planning. Um, I have a real uh, interest and passion for kind of urban design and transit-oriented projects. Uh, I've worked on um, the the Ogden Master Plan, downtown Master Plan that they released uh, a little while ago. I helped with that, um, and then I've been involved in uh, various projects out of Daybreak and. Uh, in downtown Salt Lake, so. Um, I think you just listed like two of the three places in the valley where this sort of planning actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> the other one being Sugar House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, any, anywhere the light rail touches. So we have a transportation engineer and a, an urban designer. So together do those make like grassy tram tracks? No, <laughs> I would I love to see that, actually. <laughs> Either grass inside the tracks or the tracks below the grass, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Okay, so do you want me to do the questions, or are you going to continue? Oh, well, uh, I, I can do it. Yeah, you can do it. We can have you read it. Yeah, um, so in, in a nutshell, what is the Rio Grande plan, and what's it attempting to accomplish? Yeah, we want to give some context for our listeners who are not from Utah. The greater Salt oh, Lake perfect. City metropolitan or area. Or if they are from Utah and they don't know. Yeah. Perfect. So, yeah, basically, the Rio Grande plan is a plan to restore rail service to the historic Rio Grande Depot in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, you know, back in the 90s when the city was preparing for the Olympics, they uh, a lot of money came in to shorten overpass viaducts, um, and they ended up shifting the rail lines from, originally they ran down the middle of Fifth West, you know, to, to meet up, there's the Rio Grande Station and then the Union Pacific Station. And they moved them further out closer to the freeway and uh, ended up developing the Gateway Mall area, which a lot of people know about. Yeah, but it, it sort of left these two stations high and dry. Yeah, um, didn't they try and kind of just push back the industrial perimeter of the city farther west towards the freeway to open up more land? Yeah, yeah. It, initially, that was that was kind of the original intent, right? You know, the Gateway Mall was Utah's first outdoor mall, this premier development, um, you know, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, it was it was an attempt to increase kind of the economic development opportunity as the Olympics were approaching. And it was a very good plan. I mean, those viaducts going into downtown, uh, if you imagine where the freeway is now, it's about uh, between 8th and 7th West, and these bridges would go down the middle of these streets, 5th and 6th South, and they would only come down to land at about 3rd West. I've That's seen I've seen some old maps, and there used to be, like, spiral ramps where there are now yeah. buildings. Yeah, right across from Pioneer Park and other things, like freeway ramps. So these things <laughs> needed to go. And the reason they were built in the first place is because the tracks were built down 4th and 5th West yieldy industrial city sort of thing. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. So back in the day, like Utah, the city, the history of Utah streets in Salt Lake City is very fascinating how like the city right-of-way was extremely wide, but it wasn't all used for transportation. There's like people planting gardens in the streets originally and trees and, and the creeks would go down the street. There's just like public right-of-way. I think we should bring that back. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we should too. So anyway, when the railroads came in the 1860s, 70s, where else would they go? They went right down the middle of the street just like everything else. Uh, and that lasted all the way up until the 1990s, which you can imagine has all kinds of problems. 
And so the Rio Grande plan is addressing these problems that were never actually solved. We're not really restoring something. We're, we're kind of restoring stuff. We're making it better than it ever was before. The goal is to take the tracks that currently would have been pushed from 5th West, where they would interface with the Rio Grande Depot. They've been pushed to 6th and 7th West now. Uh, if we can put them back on 5th West, except underground, uh, below grade, uh, underneath the street, then you can have the trains sail through downtown, no more grade crossings. Uh, you can reuse the old train station that used to be there. And the space that's now taken up by rail yards, uh, there's about 50 acres of land that's just empty rail yards, you can turn that into more downtown, more, more residential areas, more business areas. And in turn, that 50 acres of redevelopment will pay for the cost of putting the train tracks below grade. Well, I'm going to be honest. We all love the plan. We, yeah, we <laughs> do all like, think this is an amazing plan, yeah. and, and it should come into existence <laughs> in about five minutes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, preferably five years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We would. And I've I've heard a lot of comparisons drawn between this project and uh, Denver Union Station, which <laughs> is the poster child success story of this sort of redevelopment. We took inspiration from there too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes, you must. Yeah, so how does this compare and contrast to Denver's project? Yeah, I mean, there are uh, quite a few similarities. Um, I think I think some of the biggest differences are, you know, Denver Station is a, a terminal station, so the track's kind of dead end, um, whereas it, our proposal, it would be a through station. So in, in some ways, it's sort of the, a Denver plan perfected because there's a lot of efficiencies that you get with a through station. Well, I'd bet in terms of uh, space and we, the Frontrunner North line well, is so successful, we I now mean, have Frontrunner South, so that's exactly. just more opportunities for passengers. Just if you look at the nightmare of service patterns that Denver has on their <laughs> light rail and their regional rail networks because of this terminal pattern, you know, like if you want to go from the airport to, I don't know, the far west reaches of the metro area, you got to stop at Union and take a transfer to a line that runs every 30 <laughs> minutes from a line that runs every 15 minutes because, yeah. you know, they decided they're going to do two separate systems terminating at the same station. So this would, I would say, be a significant improvement on that. For regional and local service. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and then, you know, Infrastructure-wise, another difference is, so at, at Denver, they their kind of underground portion is a bus terminal, um, <laughs> whereas ours, you know, would be a, a functioning rail uh, rail corridor with platforms. Uh, Christian, you can probably speak to this a little bit better, but from, what, from my understanding, you know, the bus terminal at Denver is twice the width, but half the length of our proposed train box, is that... <clears throat> right, if you measure the underground portion of uh, our proposal for the Rio Grande Depot, just the part where the trains have platforms, it is uh, slightly smaller than the bus terminal at uh, Denver Union Station. And, I mean, Denver Union Station did a lot of things that could have been improved. Uh, it's, uh, I'd say it's A tier rather than S tier, <laughs> you know, <laughs> S for super, because what it does prove is that if you have this area that's near downtown uh, and it's industrial it, it, that, that nobody wants, but if you can just tweak one little thing and make it super accessible by public transit, that, uh, then suddenly uh, it's a highly desirable area. It flips from being a net negative on the city to being a super positive addition. And uh, like if you just look at the 20-story the apartment buildings or, or residential or um, commercial buildings going up around uh, what was those 20 acres of rail yards, 
it's 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 hard to believe uh, the transition <laughs> happened in the last 15 years. And we think, uh, I mean, if Salt Lake City can get that kind of level of investment uh, that Denver got, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, yeah. So in terms of technical aspects of this project, uh, how wide will the train box be? How many tracks are we going to have? How many platforms are we going to have? <laughs> okay, well, all this is uh, aspirational. We've proposed basically uh, the golden ideal of what uh, you can expect with uh, the conditions that are there on the ground. Like if you were playing City Skylines, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this would be Sim City. In my <laughs> Sim day. City, yeah, my day too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so all the dirt and rock is magic, and we can make these big cut and covers. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more not this magic, but uh, I, maybe uh, the bank account is magic. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, the physical constraints are absolutely real. Uh, the train box would be about 120, 124 feet wide, uh, depending on the kind of structure used for your shoring walls. You'd have six tracks in the box. Uh, we're proposing two for Union Pacific and uh, Intercity Rail. Uh, that replaces the two that they have running through their yards. Uh, there'd be two for uh, the current frontrunner service, north and south, and there'd be two additional tracks for potential transit reasons. And the reason you want to build that wide enough in the first place is you basically get one shot to build this. Yeah. No one's going to go back and rip up a train box and put it back bigger. Uh, <laughs> this is your your one shot to uh, get it just right and I build mean, the capacity. I mean, you would. You've seen their freeway projects. Why build something once and you can build it at least five times? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, they're getting better, UDOT. They, they uh, um, yeah, did a lot of good planning for the Mountain View Corridor. But basically everything along I-15 where they keep uh, tearing down houses <laughs> to uh, widen the freeway. Uh, yeah, that that should um, should give people pause. Uh, anyway, the train box itself would be about one mile long, uh, which would make it on the short end of train boxes uh, nationwide. I, I should specify, technically speaking, this is a a, a trench, uh, a capped trench. Uh, civil engineers would call it that. Uh, train box is a term that Cameron and I came up with to make it more <laughs> palatable to the a, public. A PR term. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a nice term because it evokes exactly the <clears throat> image you want. Mm -hmm. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, you did your job well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember coming up, <laughs> but I'll take credit if you want yeah. to do it. And then this box would go through, if I'm <coughs> correct, from about 9th South, go under 9th South, and then go all the way up to Union Pacific's big triangle. Exactly. That's correct. To the old uh, Grant's Tower area. And then I'm sure there would be some, like, horrid flyover and unders for all the freight traffic disentangling with the passenger traffic going all the different directions up by the triangle. You, you could do that. Our box, <coughs> our plan shows uh, our box staying to the east of that triangle and ramping straight up. And so you'd have one track that kind of goes off to the side. Okay, um, so you'd only need that if you wanted, say, frontrunner to Tuella, but that's a more long-term plan. It is a long-term plan, and it's, it's kind of a low-hanging fruit, too. The tracks go out to Tuella. Tuella is an area where a lot of, a lot of housing could be built if people it's really want... It's a commuter suburb of Salt Lake, too. It is, yeah. Yeah. If you measure the area, uh, available land area in Tooele, uh, like the stuff that's not army bases and stuff, it's still the size of all of northern Utah Valley. Like, you could fit a lot of people in there that would need commuter service directly into downtown. So you should definitely, if you're a planner listening to this podcast, <laughs> you should definitely leave that in your plans. Don't, don't box yourself in. Leave that as an option. I mean, especially where there's just the one corridor to connect yeah. Tooele Valley to Salt Lake. That's kind of like what we have build another one. Yeah, you, like there's not enough room to keep widening the highway, there's not enough room for anything. That's kind of like we so. have north of the valley and south of the valley too. That, yeah. that, that pinch point. Constraints. Totally. 
So how does the train box proposal you guys have in the plan compare to the uh, Reno train box? Yeah, um, so the Reno train box is actually very similar. Uh, and I, I mean, I think the, the main difference is, I think the Reno one is a little bit longer. Two miles versus Two miles one. versus one. Um, and, but ours would be, Reno's carries two tracks or Two tracks three. with room for a third. Uh, Whereas ours would be kind of, tw ours would c carry six tracks, so twice that amount. Because you'd be making full use of these really wide streets. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah. the streets, why not, why not use them? Especially yeah. Northwest, which is still kind of a bit of an industrial wasteland. Totally. And like, you're not ripping <laughs> much of anything up, it's just dirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's another good point that, I, I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but yeah, the entire train box fits within the existing yeah. street right-of-way. And so it's not like there right. would be any private property acquisitions needed nope. for this. You just kind of plug and play. And thankfully, no tunnel boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not putting this 300 feet well, underground and mining out the station. You know, ten trillion dollars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we, we don't call this a tunnel. Uh, never it's ever a ever train ever. box. <laughs> a train box. And it, it's not actually accurate to call it a tunnel because you don't have. It's not. Yeah, it's not a tunnel. It's uh, there's no unmanaged earth on the top of this it's a structure. A big pit that just happens to have concrete decking over the top. Concrete decking. See, that's that's the difference. If you have a tunnel, then you have to build a structure that's strong in every direction. This one, you build it so it's strong in the outward direction. And then I guess you can like put a bus on top if you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a parking garage structure. Like take yeah. the parking garage behind the Wells Fargo building. If you un <laughs> unstretch that, right? It's about a mile long. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's the same kind of structure. This sort of infrastructure comparison makes me wonder why we haven't built this plan already for building stuff uh, like that. Yeah, we, we need to, to market it to UDOT. We just need to uh, put it punch in terms the of stuff they've already yeah. built. Yeah. It's going to cost as much as this many parking garage stalls. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the, the parking garage is built on one plot of land. It doesn't have to deal with underground utilities. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, I'm just trying to show people that uh, this is not flying cars from the future. No. This is something we know how to build, and if you were to go to your average construction company and say, build me a capped trench on 500 West, they'd know what you're talking about. They've got the equipment to do it. The main issue would probably just be utilities and ground conditions, I'd imagine. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, and even then, like, you can build tunnels, or, or not tunnels, I made my own mistake. <laughs> you can get out. You can do subgrade uh, infrastructure work. How about that? <laughs> you can do that uh, wherever you want to, just so long as you're willing to reinforce your structures enough. Uh, lots of people got to see the tunnel at the airport connecting the two uh, uh, tunnel courses together yeah. as it was under construction. The big window, you could take so many cool pictures <laughs> of it, count how many pieces of rebar reinforcement are going in per meter and all that. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. But then you can uh, say, if that's what they needed to do in this area where the water level is really high, like they actually needed to take these piles and sink them down into the ground, uh, not so they have a structured foundation to hold the thing up, but to hold the tunnel down <laughs> because the tunnel has full of air and the groundwater is around it. The thing is buoyant. It would float <laughs> to the surface and cause this huge bump in the ground if it wasn't tied down into the uh, into the subgrade. And like that's not that's nearly that that's so much more difficult than what we're proposing. Yeah. Uh, how much does it cost? <laughs> <laughs> or how much do you, not being a government agency with a few million dollars to drop on a study, think it should probably cost? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> we've actually been told by Salt Lake City not to discuss cost. Okay. The reason is that this is kind of something they're taking on uh, as an exploration. 
so maybe we don't want to make the same mistake every other major in infrastructure project has and come up with a cost estimate at like 1% design. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably wise. I mean, especially in, in the current economy. I mean, like, <laughs> costs of construction has just been, like, so volatile Cost. in the last several years. Yeah. I guess the main thing you have to sell with cost is where are we going to recoup the money? Because I don't think UDOT's going to want to fork over too much of their transportation investment fund money. And I've heard proposals from in your plan about, like, a special tax district sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of funding opportunities and mechanisms that the city uh, could look at as a way to kind of recoup a lot of the construction costs. They did something very similar in Denver, and they were actually able to pay off the... So they um, in, in Denver, they had a variety of funding sources. You know, some came from kind of local and state uh, funding matches, and then a, a big chunk of it was also federally funded. That's good. That's always good to have. Um, yeah, which, which is a, always a nice resource. But they ended up, from the development, they ended up paying off the federal loans uh, 10 full years early. Nice. Um, and so, and I think, you know, it's it's not a mystery to anyone that Salt Lake's economy is booming right now. And there's, you know, a lot of interest in, in growth and development. Um, and so I think that, you know, whether it's a TIF district or, um, you know, other sort of funding mechanisms to incentivize development in this newly opened land, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways that you could uh, recoup a lot of that, a lot of that cost and also create an amazing neighborhood in the process. Right? Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's a huge deficit of, of, of affordable housing <laughs> and, you know, there's uh, there's a lack of green space on the west side. And so you could easily kind of build in all of these um you know, policies and, and development regulations as a part of the plan to to make sure that, you know, you're accommodating some of those issues. Yeah, that's the, the hardest part of any part of, the, uh, of this project is the, the financing of it. The engineering uh, is pretty straightforward, but getting uh, people to agree that uh, each individual, individual agency to agree that uh, this is worth their specific money is going to be the biggest challenge. And when I say we aren't allowed to discuss costs, it's not because we're scared of it. It's just uh, the project will pay for itself depending on how maybe it's 10, 15, 20 years. It will return might its investment. Might take longer, might take more taxes, might take less time, might take less taxes. Exactly. Might get more federal funding, might get less federal funding. Yeah, so that's what we're not promising. It's the time frame within it will pay itself off. So, it, it, yeah, just a floating variable there. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I noticed you mentioned the stakeholders and agencies who are wanting or and or not wanting to shell out money. <laughs> <laughs> um so there are two kind of big variables in this plan that we haven't addressed so Ooh, far. Yeah, yeah. And those are the Union Pacific Railroad Corporation and the Utah Transit Authority, uh, the latter of which has expressed what I would call a forceful non-interest in the project so far. <laughs> Probably because so, they have no money. Well, yes, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> They're going to know more about this than other people. So <laughs> let's start with UTA, how, uh, I guess. Let's start with UTA. Have, has Ooh. UTA been brought into consultation with the city? Have they expressed any interest in the project thus far? Mm -hmm. um, mem so members of UTA have been present at uh, a couple of our presentations that we've given. Um, for, for the listeners that might not be familiar, I, I'm assuming the, the article you're referring to was, it was a news article released a few weeks ago. In where the Tribune? Yeah, I think it was in the Trib. 
and um, someone was interviewing uh, uh, Carlton Christensen. Carlton Christensen. He's yeah. the he's like the head of the UTA? board of the UTA directors. Uh, yeah, chair, he's, he's the chair, chair of the board. The board. Chair, yeah, the three person board that directs the. Yeah, and it, but basically, I mean, it, it sounds like they're. Yeah, that was a good way of putting it. Just forceful lack of interest. I think UTA, um, you know, they, they've they put a lot of time and money and thought into their current station plan of how they can, you know, retrofit the, the existing Salt Lake Central Station to kind of meet their their needs and to have, you know, a, a UTA headquarters building. Um, and I think that there's just some hesitancy to kind of uh, turn away from that and adopt and accept kind of a new. Except that their plan vision. for Salt Lake Central is kind of short-sighted. Maybe, maybe not the terrible? best grounded plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like rooted in good access to downtown. It's not rooted yeah. in good bus service in every single compass direction. It's yeah, not rooted in development. It's just like some concrete. It, it was exactly. supposed to be a temporary station, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is the funniest part of this conversation. Yeah, I mean, in fact, the um, the Amtrak s- station, oh, that's out there, the, it's, Am- the Amtrak. Yeah, it's literally uh, a double wide trailer that <laughs> they kind of plopped out there. Like, we'll get to this someday. And their and platform is worse than UTA's. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think UTA. I don't think that that article or kind of their lack of interest is a deal breaker. I think that. If um, if the the right players can come to the table, and you know, ultimately, this is going to have to be something that's probably led by Salt Lake City. Even though there's going to be many stakeholders, Salt Lake is going to have to be kind of the champion. Um, and so, if there's you know, if Salt Lake City can kind of push this forward, and if UTA can see you know the benefits and that this is actually feasible, then I think they'll they'll start to come around. Um, and, and, you know, one exciting piece of news while we're talking about news is uh, that Salt Lake recently won a, a $2 million federal grant. For to, a study? Yeah, to, oh, to really f- formally study this plan. You, you know, it, it's a it's a study to look at the East-West divide and how to mitigate some of those uh, barriers. It's a good spin but, to take on it. Yeah, but <laughs> in, in the grant proposal, they call out the Rio Grande plan specifically as one of the options. So I think that out of this uh, this formal study that the city is now undertaking, we're going to get a lot of clarity, and there's going to be, you know, it's no longer going to be just a grassroots effort of yeah. two citizens. It, this there's, is now just sitting on the desks of insert politician. Exactly. This is this is the thing. Here's the benefits. Here's the drawbacks. Where's our money? Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> if they find out of the out of their research and study that you know the same conclusion that we've come to that this is feasible, that this is the smart move, then hopefully a lot of those other stakeholders would you know buy in. And I'd still speculate for UTA. It's probably mostly a money thing. They're stretched quite thin on like discretionary oh, funding. Yeah, as we know, there are still several hundred mil- well. A hundred and most of a half million dollars in bond repayments from front lines every year. So I could understand why they're hesitant to undertake capital expansion at this time. So hopefully we can get bigger pitch, pitch ins from the federal government, from state transportation investment, you name it. Just second that, uh, I have nothing bad to say about uh, my former employer, the UTA, or Carlton <laughs> Christensen. They, do a fantastic job with the resources they're given. And oh, yeah. <laughs> if I were presented with this plan and <laughs> say, here, do this thing that's going to be at least hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> like, um, we're already in debt. We're barely pulling together bus service. Right, yeah. So know. this is 
absolutely should be a Salt Lake City project that should be led by Salt Lake City. And uh, it would be nice if they s expressed more support to Salt Lake City to say, like, if you lead this, we will follow. That would be good in terms of getting, like, the state and the federal government on board. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, in that grant application that was sent to the um, uh, uh, U.S. Department of Transportation, the one that won, actually, you know, we sent... Came and I were part of both applications. <laughs> the first one that didn't win, and then, just to show the city really does care about this, they sent in a second application. Nice, which and, did. Yeah, which did. And uh, apparently, uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation was pretty excited, too, because we got the third highest amount... Mm -hmm. uh, out of all the like 40, 50 uh, uh, grant applications, it was pretty good. It's wow. a good project. But in that uh, application, uh, there were various letters, and there were some from the various freight railroads who uh, have investment in this. And they say, you know, this is tracks to an urban area. We'd like to be able to um, improve our own infrastructure. Uh, obviously, it'll take some contributions from the railroads as well. Like in the Reno project, they, uh, Union Pacific uh, had their tracks going through downtown Reno. Uh, there was 12 different railroad crossings in a two-mile stretch. And uh, it was in their interest to close that down as well because, you know, um, they get fined when their trains block the tracks. There's pedestrians that get hit, and that causes freight delays and lawsuits and all kinds of problems. It's better for them when they don't interface with the public. They love to separate themselves. So if you can find a way... I mean, like even, was it two weeks ago someone was... Yeah. Hit that by a train? was, I believe, a UTA train. It was, was a UTA that train. Was, that was far. Yeah, most of the <laughs> recent fatalities were UTA day. trains. This one, the one last year, the year two years before... Yeah, it's mostly UTA trains, but at the well, same those time... those ones move? Like, yeah, they move forward, <laughs> Like, at all? <laughs> as opposed to just stop in the grade crossing? Right, but it's still not good when your train blocks the tracks and yeah. there's, like, school kids crossing between the freight cars, you know, climbing up them and getting over. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so anyway, like, they, they express their support for help in solving this problem. So that's, that's good that we've heard it because we have all been going back and forth on I'm what we think Union Pacific thinks. Union Pacific is I the greatest concern I've seen many people who are sort of interested in the issue express because, to put it politely, the Class One railroads have more power than the average United than the average state in terms <laughs> of like, you know. I mean, layout. they're older than the state. Union Pacific is from 1850, 1861. And Utah's estate is like 30 years after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like they, they have a lot of pull in any community that they're in. So that was a big concern for a lot of people. So if if there is, you know, any amount of express support in that's, documents... Yeah, that's really well, good. I don't want to put good. words in their mouth. I wouldn't say support. Okay. Every, this is well, politics. This is the world's <laughs> most expensive game of poker. <laughs> Let's say expressed openness. Openness. Okay. Interest. Well, yeah. It's a great start. We if don't we want to just, hey, uh, don't mess with our tracks. Go away. Yeah, the the fact that there's a foot in the door is impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I haven't had direct contact with them, but I meet people who say, I like your plan, and I've talked with so-and-so at Union Pacific. Wow, what'd they say? And they, they have these concerns. And we, you know, passed along the chain up and down. And uh, basically, the sense I get is that if some concerns can be met, if this can be constructed to Union Pacific standards. So basically, are we going to spend extra money to make the box wider and deeper and such? Exactly. So if you see the renderings we put online or in the videos or whatever, we show two sections to our box. It's like a double barrel. <laughs> Deep uh, part and regular part? Uh, no, it's just a, a wide part and a narrow part. And the <laughs> wide part goes to Union Pacific. So they the can move tracks. like rockets or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, you know, they call it a plate F uh, clearance envelope, a uh, dynamic envelope. And then 
they have the uni- I, I put four tracks of UTA on the other side in the narrower part. Which is normal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, transit vehicles, they're much more regularly shaped. They're better maintained. They can go closer together. <laughs> and a lot smaller foul zone is what you Yeah, saying. yeah. Foul zone, yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so. Oh, you did? Yeah. Cool. And then our other biggest concern with Union Pacific is how much they're going to want for their land. Because mm. it could be, oh, crappy industrial land, couple million <laughs> an acre. Ooh, we have you under our thumb. <laughs> 20 million an acre, 200 million an acre. Well, uh, I don't think that Galvin Plaza is worth $200 million an acre. No, I don't think so either. But <laughs> my point is Union Pacific can kind of charge what they want. They could if they wanted to. They'd also be on the hook for environmental remediation, mm. which is a big deal since this has been a railroad site for 140 years now. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uh, interesting materials in that soil. <laughs> Back so, before we had safety. So, I mean, there was a recent uh, land swap, is what they call it, in Denver. Uh, this is separate from the Union Station project. It was called Burnham Yard. And they said, hey, uh, Colorado Department of Transportation, CDOT, we ha- you have some land we want and you, you really want ours. <laughs> so let's trade. They were right. Colorado uh, DOT really did want that land. Uh, they're going to use it for a freeway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they just switched lands and said, my deed for yours, and did, that was super easy. Kept the lawyers out of it. So I'm hopeful something like that could happen here. That's a good idea, too, because extra land is something that the city and the state just sit on, and extra money is not something they just have lying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, this great asset that's just lying there, not being used. Yeah, totally. I, I was under the impression that they brought the yard, Denver did. Oh, this is Burnham Yard? Yeah, the Burnham Yard. I oh, did I get that mixed up? I, I think they bought that for $50 million. All right. Well, I'm going to have to... But I, I could be wrong, but too. I, <laughs> either way, that would have had to have been like a subsidized... Rate. Like $50 million seems like a steal in many regards for... That amount of land in that location. Yeah. I'm reckoning, you know, trying to figure out which yard it actually was. But regardless, I mean, the point stands yeah. in... Uh, 50 million, yeah, for the amount of land near downtown is probably uh, uh, cheap uh, for that value. Mm-hmm. So hopefully Union Pacific's on board. Hopefully we can play our cards right with extra land, land swaps. I haven't heard that idea. I think it's a good one. So the Olympics. Mm. Money, money, money. As, you know, people familiar with Utah's public transportation and transportation system in general are probably aware the reason we have light rail, I mean, you know, let's not even qualify it. The reason we have light rail in Salt Lake County today is probably because of the Olympics. Do you think that a 2030 Salt Lake Olympic bid, if successful, could have a positive impact on the Rio Grande plan? I, I would think so, very much. Um, in fact, the, the 2030 Olympic committee, they, like, tweeted... <laughs> I think I saw they, that. They tweeted out so, something referencing our Rio, the Rio Grande plan. <laughs> so, I mean, th- which, like, you know, may or may not be an endorsement, but there's at least interest level. <laughs> foot in the door. Foot yeah. in the door. Right. Yeah, the Olympic people want to show that they're good for the city, too. And if we become the most popular way to improve the city, well, then they're all on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, there you know, there'd be some huge hurdles because, I mean, 2030 is right around the corner. Um, but, you know, if, if the right people and the right decision makers kind of get in the right spot, 
then, you know, they can really grease the wheels on something like this. Because this parallels our last Olympic infrastructure improvement a lot. More tracks, push back the industrial zone, redevelop. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, it's sort of like what they did for the first Olympics, but uh, more perfected. And finish finish (laughs) it. It closes the loop right, because uh, the Rio Grande was left high and dry in the last one. (laughs) I think the Olympics were awarded in 1994, if I got that right. Pretty quick turnaround. Well, UTA had already, or Salt Lake City already owned the, the right of way for the Blue Line. Yeah, the tracks has been in the works for a really, really long time. Yeah, yeah, it took a long time, but the Olympics are what pushed it. So that would be your difficulty here, is that this plan is new and hasn't been in the works for, like, since trains were invented. (laughs) (laughs) Salt Lake Lake City and UTA were studying light rail since Portland opened theirs, so that's about 86. So that's eight to ten years before, so... Mm -hmm. It could push it, but there'd have to be some really impressive um, speed. Yeah. <laughs> if well, they want good to get thing it we have like a massive in-house construction <coughs> department in UDOT and access to all sorts of private contractors. Well, yeah. yes, Kyle, but environmental studies and oh, also yeah. getting the money. Yeah. Isn't this one of those things that's <laughs> and then, good like for the, the whole environment? D- like the whole design <laughs> process would take would take a chunk of time as yeah, well. Yeah. So. You have to do an environmental study whether or not it's good for Yeah, the sorry, I forgot this was a project that is good for the environment and has, like, a <laughs> slam dunk for the environment, one might say, and has, like, basically no impact on, like, anything that's alive or any private property. I'm sure someone will find a small salamander <laughs> and hold it up. <laughs> Yeah, don't mind us just building under our asphalt well, road Draper, in our city. Draper found a way to delay the Blue Line extension for on two years right on an existing rail right of way. Or, I shouldn't say Draper. I should say some citizens of Draper find, found a way with like a moth or something to delay the, the Blue Line extension by like two years. So, you know, it, it happens. They, so the pap- they tied it up in lawsuits. So the paperwork and extra like five years or whatever shouldn't exist for a project of this nature, but well, it let's does. let's hope none of these people have moved to 500 West <laughs> District. <laughs> and something like, there aren't quite as many um, polite words. Um, <laughs> suburban... People who concern suburban citizens on Fifth. <laughs> I, I mean, I do have sympathy for people who who own things uh, and, and expect certain value to stay, and then uh, a civil engineer like myself comes along and and uh, says, "This is where your freeway will go." And then well, of course, and it works ninety five percent of the time, but it's the five percent of people who just come up with. BS lawsuits over BS or issues. Or not BS lawsuits. Sometimes over not BS issues. lawsuits. Yeah. Or mess. <coughs> uh, yeah, we shouldn't. Uh, we want to make sure the Rio Grande plan, uh, as we designed it, it's good uh, for everyone. benefits. Yeah, right. Yeah, as a benefit for everyone. So there, there's areas where, like, uh, just west of the uh, Gateway Mall, where there's that nice green space. Uh, the, in the median, the median's extra wide because oh, yeah, it was the railroad corridor. So all of that landscaping would go. We hope not forever. Well, we not hope forever, but for construction. For construction, yeah. right. We'd need to uh, come in there and uh, go underground that uh, through that area. But we, we want to show that by connecting things together, uh, you can uh, make a, a better uh, community. Uh, like the Folsom Trail that was just finished, and that has that crazy turn up uh, <laughs> over four railroad tracks, then yeah, two and blocks, then and down, down over four back. railroad tracks. Uh, imagine that connection going straight to the gateway with no railroad tracks. Oh, they also haven't even finished that one. It's supposed to go to the Jordan River, but they're not done yet. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, the railroad right of way combined with the actual railroad, so <laughs> they have to buy some land there. 
But that will go straight to the river, straight to the old Fisher Mansion, where they're going to have those, uh, you know, boat rentals and uh, environmental, like, uh, visitor center area. It'll be super nice. So this project can integrate very well with existing green space. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Pull and the green space towards downtown. add a whole bunch new, ripping up the rail yard and putting in residential. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be a lot of trees. You put those trees, put them right next to the freeway, even, so that yeah. you can't even hear it from downtown. Or Good plan. Yeah. Plant some pine trees. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to say palm trees. That's what palm. all the cities are doing, right? <laughs> palm trees slash can't survive S, slash here, S. I don't think. Oh, they can't survive in lots of places, people. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Like, for example, on um, Arrakis, where there are, you know, exactly 24 <laughs> palm trees on the entire planet. <laughs> I accept your gift in the spirit it was given. <laughs> um, okay, so... That's most of the like Ooh. meat of the topic. One we more. wanted to dis- discuss some tangential stuff now. Oh, before we get yeah. to that, a different tangent before we do tangents. Buses. So mm-hmm. Salt Lake is cur- Salt Lake Central is currently a big bus terminal, which means they've got a huge bus loop to store and end of uh, end of line all those buses. However, I've noticed that they do all the bus pickups at like one stop. <laughs> So if you're getting off front or getting on a bus, the buses will go out of the waiting area, then they'll come stop at the stop. The one stop when the sign is like nine routes on it and they pick everybody else out and leave. So what I'm wondering is, in your vision for your plan, would you have a big bus terminal co-located with the station, maybe on some of the reclaimed street space and stop on top of the cap? Or would you go hide that off-site and just run the buses for pickup and then run them in town? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the way that we developed our concept was to have was to relocate the bus depot uh, adjacent to the Front Runner and Light Rail Line around the Rio Grande. On Rio depot. Grande Street, I saw in the renderings there yeah. was like a lot of bus spots. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so so basically between Third Third South and Fourth South, um, you know, the station would kind of sit right or or the. Um, you have, you have the... The concourse would sit up there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you have the concourse right behind the Rio Grande Depot, and then just north and south of that concourse, there would be room for, for buses. Uh-huh. So you could have, you know, the north the north end could be UTA buses or local buses. The south the south bay could be, be for... Be like all one Greyhound bus per hour. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if, if we ever get more buses, bus activity going. For example, <laughs> one that runs to Logan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but at the same time, you know, if if UTA is concerned about, um, you know, this kind of lost investment that they've put into the the current bus depot, you know, you could you could have a, a real grand plan and the the current bus terminal as is, and you kind of have this kind of dual sided yeah. um, transit too, development. It wouldn't be too bad of a walking connection if they want to keep it. It's only one block on Third South. At any rate, you can do bus pickup at the actual station. I mean, it's like too. I, I'm yeah. personally not endorsing that idea, but it is yeah. uh, an option, right? Uh, yeah, uh, the hybrid solution. I mean, one of the biggest objections created, uh, raised by um, UTA operations people is that the bus maintenance facility is just west of the railroad tracks as they are, so it's really convenient to have all these buses dead end or uh, end of line right at the uh, uh, maintenance terminal because, you know, even moving two blocks, you've got these buses that uh, uh, have a very high rate of fuel consumption. <laughs> it, it adds up. A million or two dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, exactly. it might just break and then you've got to tow it from the end of the line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. It, it just makes it easier for operations. 
And so it, it makes some amount of sense to have the bus um, uh, hub be where it is now. And as the buses move to, into downtown, take either second or fourth south, we go right past the Rio Grande Depot and have major bus stations right there. It wouldn't be that bad of a, a I mean, that's a pretty easy transfer too. So it sounds like it'll be mostly what, whatever UTA wants, their buses, after all. Their buses, uh, whatever makes them happy. Like I yeah. said, this plan needs to they're work for everyone. If they're a stakeholder, they get what they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Um, and then next on my list of tangent topics. Ah, uh, yes, my beloved uh, tracks light rail. So, um, in, as in, in your in your packet, there's a little picture with like the tracks on it that has been <laughs> irking this one for a oh, while. Okay. Oh, and it's this. This. What? Is, why does it go? So my question <laughs> is, why is the design concept to move light rail over to Rio Grande Street rather than keeping it on? Um, Fourth West and having a pedestrianized street on Third South to connect to the, the uh, terminal or not terminal station to the whatever. station. Um, yeah, very. Uh, you've been spending a lot of time. <laughs> <on this apparently. laughs> um, yeah, so w we actually did. Christian and I did go back and forth on that a lot of what uh, you match know. too. He really doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, well, like. Because, I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, if you can re remove four 90-degree turns from a the train, line, the operators will love you. The operators yeah. will love you, and the train will physically pass through the area faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the reason we decided to show it routed onto Rio Grande Street is more for conceptual purposes than anything. I think we wanted to show that the Rio Grande Depot can, is, a, is, a, it's a, is a hub transfer point. It is the point. intermodal central station. Um, you know, this flow of passengers from, you know, commuter lines to light rail lines to buses all happening within one uh, convenient space. Yeah. I think, you know, it, as they get into, as they hopefully get further into, into like an a, actual a design, design, that, you know, those sort of decisions would be made. And like yeah, you could In real life, it's, it's here. That's just 400 extra yeah. feet of walking. Well, yeah. So it, I guess the reason this is stuck in my mind so much is because I... You know, there's a lot of people who see the Rio Grande plan as sort of a, an opportunity to reconnect the east and west sides of Salt Lake City, which I definitely agree with and is a worthwhile goal. But where I see the greatest utility and the greatest benefit in having something like the Rio Grande plan is really increasing connectivity of all of our services together. Because, mm -hmm. you know, UTA's current plan for improving uh, Salt Lake Central is to take tracks all the way down to Fort, all the way down Fourth South to meet up with the current terminus of the Blue Line, which would be basically the same thing. Which is like this, but like actually bad and completely <laughs> irredeemable. Yeah. Like this, you bump it over four hundred feet, then it's straight. But their plan so, is just hopeless. So, right. so anyway, that's one of the things that that I was thinking about in in regards to the plan is we how does need tracks to make play it into right this? Because this is going to, if done properly, sort of revolutionize not just Front Runner, not just, you know, reconnecting the West Side, not just Amtrak or Union Pacific. Because this square it's thing here, really the everything. whole system. Exactly. Yeah. This well, square thing here revol would uh, revolutionize tracks capacity. Yes. Yeah, would, I mean, having a circulator line going around downtown, I mean, maybe make like have special light rail vehicles, you know, super long ones, that are, <laughs> and have those be the free fare vehicles, everything else, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, 
But like, I, I approach this from the perspective of a transit rider. Uh, today, uh, you get off at Salt Lake Central Station, and as much as we want to make fun of it, the one really good thing it does is it's super close to tracks. You just walk across this plaza, which is, as a plaza, it's pretty good. You get into the train right there, and uh, off it goes. Uh, the train's waiting for you almost all the time. Uh, if you go to the Rio Grande Depot, you come up the escalators, you walk through the depot. I'm in Salt Lake City, uh, but then you have to walk another half block to get to the train that will take you the rest of the way to downtown. I mean, how is that better? Uh, I, I understand what you're saying about operational efficiency, and we can argue about this a lot because they're both really good arguments to have. But I, I w make sure we don't, aren't the tail wagging the dog here. We, we uh, want to make, from the public perception, a, a experience like what they expect. You get off a high-speed train in Madrid or some other um, European city, you step outside, and right on the front doorstep they've got like a, a tram plaza, all the trams ready to take you around. And I mean, if uh, that's the aspiration there. Uh, Maybe this is a question best left up to the engineers and their simulations of is having 400 feet less to walk and the quali objectively qualitatively better passenger experience a better end result than having fewer operational conflicts on 4th South, which is a disgusting feeder, anyway. and 2nd South. <laughs> and, and, you We're know, getting a little turns. too technical. So <laughs> I would love to see some numbers from engineering simulations about, like, signaling conflicts, hard turns, uh, okay. walking time, you, you name it. Yeah, I, and anyway. as, I, as would I, right? Like, <laughs> yes. I, like Christian said, you know, we, we approach this from... Uh, from a user experience standpoint, and you know, from an urban design standpoint, and as like, someone who's going to ride the thing anyways, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm the best eye for the raw, just first-time passenger experience. I see this in terms of raw numbers. How long does it take me to get to my destination? Yeah. But okay, you've also missed the most significant part of this. Yeah. If you take this shape and you turn it 90 degrees clockwise. It's the shape of Utah. Whoa! <laughs> you should have you left it's it It's the Utah Fair Free Zone. There you go. It'll keep... It's, it's, it's memorable. <laughs> Utah W, Portland L. <laughs> and then other thing with... <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Is it about? the shape of an L? Uh, they the don't have a, a Pharaoh Square Exactly. <laughs> they got rid of that. <laughs> yeah, because it was no. promoting crowding because too many people were using it. And then we could have one that's shaped like Utah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. And then other thing with tracks is there is the old uh, rail spur coming off of 9th South going into mm -hmm. Ballpark down there. We would love to see that integrated like that mm -hmm. for capacity reasons. Mm -hmm. That way we have two street running tails instead of just one. You know, 30 trains an hour out of downtown instead of UTA's current campus. This one would like to see some spot grades operations on tracks. That is entirely unreal, out of scope for this project this is and is probably a proposal I will be myself with a civil engineer friend of mine. <laughs> oh. Civil engineers, we make yeah. good friends. Very we do too. Well, be sure to be sure to hit us up because <laughs> I feel like we've you know we've had conversations about these sort of things too. You know, like which alignment or you know conceptually does it make sense just to show a simple kind of T shape there and, and then I let the let the designers work it out. On, you know, diagrams for grade separation projects <laughs> and other locations. We three on 21st South, or, 30, or not 21st South, on the 13th main line South, between Ballpark South, and 21st. 21st. You need 
three grade separations, you can run 30 trains an hour or get 10-minute frequencies on all tracks lines. I'm just saying, UTA, hit me up. Are you listening? Yeah. But so, yeah, once this proves to be an objective-smashing success, we throw in, we get some more tracks money from the feds, and then... So, I don't know, double like track service yes. with the new track capacity. No. Out of yeah. scope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's necessarily so far out of scope. I mean, getting people to downtown, that's what this project's about. And hopefully when downtown becomes a better place to go, uh, have your office, go for entertainment, uh, be a cultural center for, for lots of different groups to gather, or just an awesome place to live, uh, then we can really have these conversations with people who, who use downtown a lot. Okay, and then I think Alex and I had, were curious about the sort of scale of development that is planned for yeah. around the Rio Grande. So in the renders, we see a bunch <laughs> of a bunch of mid rises, <laughs> and we here at the Redline Podcast love tall oh. buildings. Mm. <laughs> so, so, what's your vision for like this big new hip master plan community? I I love tall buildings too. <laughs> Please, as, as tall as, as economically feasible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, w one exciting development that happened just within the last couple of years related to that is, you know, the city took a fresh look at its uh, height restrictions in, in <laughs> the, the Granary District. And so, uh, you know, by lifting the cap of, of allowable heights... Have they removed the cap or is it just higher now? They haven't removed it. They've removed it within. They removed it in a lot of areas in downtown. Mm, and D one zoning. Uh huh. But they've so they haven't lifted it. But in, really in the good granary, start. But they, in the yeah, it's a area. start. They've they've increased the heights that are allowed, and so yeah, ideally we could you could go as high as you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think you know, from from my perspective, I'm much more interested in what does the what does the pedestrian experience look like and feel like? Um, you know, can you make improvements to that by, you know, having certain setback requir requirements? Mm -hmm. um, having, you know, well, like the original New York City zoning that they invented so light reaches the ground sort of deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I'd advocate for pedestrianizing the insides of blocks. Like, we're bad at that right now. You should be able to just walk in between the buildings. Mm -hmm. And, and that was another thing that we we made sure to include in in our kind of proposed development schematic is subdividing subdividing those our huge Salt Lake blocks. Mm. You know, you could you can fit nine Portland blocks in one Salt Lake City block, so you could subdivide these down to a much more granular scale um, and create. Uh, you know, pedestrian mid-blocks, greenways. Huge courtyards. Um, yeah, courtyards. Another idea that we were playing with is, you know, could you have a, a rail trail that follows the current rail alignment and convert that into a greenway? That would be, that would be very good. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, building interest. in multi-mobility and uh, a comfortable and exciting pedestrian experience is, is something that we would love to, to see here. This is always funny uh, because most people we talk to aren't uh, transit enthusiasts, they're uh, more <laughs> urbanists, and it's always Cameron who gets most of the questions, <laughs> and they're always <laughs> upset about, why did you draw the buildings this way or that way? <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, the render looked like uh, 
a pretty stock render of, wow, there sure are buildings here now, and not like <laughs> yeah. a massive, we spent 40 hours on this vision of <laughs> this skyscraper and that skyscraper and this park sort of thing. Yeah, exa- yeah. So the I renderings think- are just basically glass <laughs> blocks that show there's a building here. Like, I can understand that, but it comes off to me as, oh... I want tall building. That's not a tall building. <laughs> Even though yeah. my brain understands that it's just filler. Just to show that something's going to go there. Yeah. So Maybe I, at the next I iteration we can add some more. Yeah, once, some once more y'all get some grant money yourselves to make a new, <laughs> a new packet. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, we have next year. Cameron Blakely and Christian Lenhart, uh, thank you so much for being on the Redline podcast. Are there any things you'd like to say or promote before we go? Yeah. This is the plug anything you want. Yeah, section. anything Twitter, you know, meetings. That Future you events, yeah. Yeah, where do we find you? How do our how do our listeners Coming support your plan? On the internet. <laughs> I think we'll be giving updates on our website, uh, realgrandplansaltlakecity.com or dot org. Apologies. <laughs> Let me try that again. Realgrandplansaltlakecity.org. I picked the longest URL in the world, I know. But <laughs> it's easy to type. Yeah, if you search for Google, it'll be there in there, too. I'll try and include updates for future events uh, if we do there. We don't have one planned currently. But I just want to say that even though uh, for the next year or more, this is going to have a professional group of uh, engineers and planners actually studying the potential of this, it's still really important that we build public support for the plan and do all we can to talk with you know, friends, neighbors, uh, legislators, local decision makers about the Rio Grande plan and just get people excited uh, because even if it turns out to be feasible uh, it's still going to be an uphill battle to make this thing um, uh, uh, put this thing on the master plans uh, my, uh, uh, my dream is that the Olympics are announced either 2030, probably 2034 and people start looking around and saying what can we do to make our city uh, more presentable to the world, you know, Beijing had the Olympics um, other world-class cities had the Olympics, and they're coming here in Salt Lake City. What can we do to uh, show that the United States of America compares with the rest of these with using Salt Lake City? And here we go, uh, the real grand plan, uh, have people come to our city, uh, modern, uh, uh, clean uh, transportation solution, you know, trains into downtown, and show that we are a city that deserves to be on the same level as the rest. I think this, uh, that we get people excited. Um, yeah, so... So, so, yeah, keep spreading the word as much as we can. Uh, get people ready for that decision that's going to come up soon, and uh, hopefully it will be decided in the right way. Yeah, I mean, and I think just to, to echo what Christian was saying and to build off of it is, uh, you know, this plan, it's, it's a way for, for Salt Lake City to become, you know, a, a world-class city, but also it, it benefits everyone that lives here. I think, you know... One of the, the main reason that Christian and I started working on this plan to begin with is because we both love Salt Lake. Even though we're not from here originally, <laughs> we have, we've grown to, to love this city and we see its potential. There's so much opportunity here. And, you know, its citizens deserve something that they can be proud of and something that works for them. Um, and, and the Rio Grande plan is, it's... You, you know, there's never a magic bullet, but there. This is probably as close as you're gonna get. The benefits as far as for the cost of just like a mile odd train box and some new track rails is incredible. Yeah, exactly. You know, the opportunity for connectivity, mobility, for um, providing m- new housing opportunities, new economic economic open space opportunities. It's just like, you know, the list goes on and on of all the benefits that this could potentially provide. 
downtown Salt Lake and the greater metro area. And so we're just excited at the opportunity to um, be able to make a difference in some small way. And, and hopefully the word can kind of keep getting out and people can keep uh, keep excited about it. And then this grant-funded study comes out. You got broad public support. We talked to all the stakeholders. And then hopefully hopefully everything lines up. God willing. You get all the pieces of the puzzle ready to put in place. Yeah. Don't have two of them hiding under the couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've certainly got our attention, and we're excited to see what happens. So thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much for, for bringing us on. Yeah, yeah of course. It's fun. And the library closed two minutes ago, so sure. do the out- okay. do our outro as fast as you can. <laughs> no. Uh, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and to leave us a rating on iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you, we do here, please consider joining us on Patreon, where members get early access to our existing content, a Patreon exclusive every month, as well as additional benefits like stickers. Speaking of patrons, our patrons are... Am I doing front-runner? Can somebody else do this? I, I can do front-runner. Um, $10 a month, front-runner. Um, we have Zach Adams at Lightning Speeds. Curtis <laughs> Aaron, Devin Zander, Mike Christensen, and Phobos2390. And uh, our redline tier, $5 a month. We have Brian Smith, Christopher Whaley, Jacob Whitecotton, DJ Highwell Watkins, <laughs> Reluctant LA Resident, Robert P. Walsh, and Scott Harris. Blue Line, $3 a month. We have Just Cause, Patrick Sloss, Alex Jakelski, Ben Bussoff, Bra- Bradley Bondi, e- Elijah Kensler, Ethan McDonald, Evelyn G4, Gonza 12, Jack Bates, Jack Dean, John Heron Gorman, Martin Hecker Martinez, Old Charlie, Joey Lerhall, and Seth. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. 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 Thank you.